Bring it in. Read option back after yet another phenomenal weekend of football, college games all over the place. NFL uh, got some good games coming down to the wire. Still not having the best on the primetime games, but you know what? That's kind of how you know it rolls. Some weeks you're going to get amazing primetimes, and some of you are going to get dramatic finishes, and other weeks you're just going to have decent weeks. This was an all-around solid week in football uh particularly nfl and uh we had some fun on the weekend with college as well uh just me today solo jeff pod no scotty no Vito. the boys are uh as we always say they got lives they got scotty's got his wife and his house and everything he's taking care of Vito's out building skyscrapers all over the country doing a million things so it's just me today we're going to keep this one a little bit shorter than our typical post show our post sunday pods our, our tuesday pods typically have been running you know hour 45 to the two hours give or take uh we're going to keep this one nice and tight because it's just your boy today a uh, lot to get into let's start off with um let's start off with the thursday night game now a lot's been made since thursday obviously the Tua story being the first and foremost um, kind of storyline that came out of that concussions are a scary thing, man. And the injury with Tua obviously looked horrible. The optics of it was awful. Um, the optics of him coming back and playing in the game against Baltimore, not this past Sunday, the Sunday before, after we'd saw him stagger off and they called it a, a, a back injury and an ankle injury, but he was okay to get cleared. We then found out uh, after the hit he took on Thursday night that the independent uh, review, the independent specialist who had to sign off on Tua's um, clearance during that Baltimore game was fired after making multiple mistakes. I don't, I hope at some point we're able to get a full story that comes out on that. Uh, I'm not trying to put any blame on Miami and say, oh, they pressured him or whatever, but you're the NFL, right? You shouldn't be hiring any sort of medical professional that would be making multiple mistakes. And and typically the NFL doesn't. You hear stories every once in a while. I mean, people remember the Tyrod Taylor, you know, punctured lung situation a couple of years ago. But for the most part, when you're a medical pro- professional in the NFL, you know what the fuck you're doing. You know, you're not going to be screwing up left and you're not going to make big mistakes, particularly in the topic of head injuries, which the NFL has spent millions and millions of dollars settling in lawsuits. Uh, but is also admirably, though we don't always say that about the NFL, put a lot of work into fix and to genuinely make the game safer for their players. And for a long time, at least the last 10 years or so, since the big anti-football, you know, the, the big push to make concussions um, fewer and further between, though you're never going to fully eliminate them in the NFL. We haven't really seen too many instances of the NFL being lackadaisical when it comes to concussions. So I, I'd be curious if a story comes out later on um, where maybe the Dolphins' role in this was a little bit more significant or maybe just the NFL hired a bad rep for this, you know, hired the wrong person for this job. Either way. Um, you put a guy's health at risk. Um, a guy by all intents and purposes is a, is a hell of a competitor, a really good guy. 
um, and wanted to go out there and play and fight for his team because every single player is going to tell you, Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I can get back out there. You know um, I've had five to six concussions that I, that I know of from my playing days. It's what, it's what made me stop playing football um, at a younger age. And I know that feeling of like, you, you get your quote unquote bell rung and you want to get back up and you say, no, I'm good. You try to shake it off. And you know, if you love the game and you want to get back out there, that's ultimately what a lot of these guys do. They don't want to give up. They don't want to look soft or whatever the reason. Uh, and you have to make sure you take that guy's helmet away. So that was the big story that came out Thursday night from the game itself. Obviously without Tua, um, Miami's nowhere near as good of a team, but even before Tua got hurt, the offense still didn't look great. Uh, I know Tyreek Hill ended up with some big yards and they made a push late. Uh, Cincinnati, not an overly convincing win by the Bengals. Look, they looked better, right? Um, there's still some moments where that offense doesn't quite seem to have the same flow. And yet I'll continue to say the same thing, which is that the one thing about this Bengals team, and I know they came up short on two, you know, obviously the week one against the Steelers, which they absolutely should have won that game. Uh, but in their two losses this year, there were games that they very easily could have won, that arguably should have won, uh, or at least they were in position in the fourth quarter to go down on a, on a drive and win a football game. And a huge part of that is because of Joe Burrow, right? 13 points in the fourth quarter here. Joe Burrow leads this team down. Uh, Zach Taylor, I'm he's as difficult of a coach to try to figure out because there's sometimes where it feels like this guy doesn't seem like he's an NFL head coach. And then you also go, yeah, but he also had his team in the Super Bowl last year, right? So uh, not taking anything away from him. Hey, the wins are the wins. His resume is what it is. Uh, and you're doing it with the Cincinnati Bengals, nonetheless, which is really hard. But so much of it, I think, really does fall on Joe Burrow's shoulders. Uh, there's a belief in him, in this team, that when the going gets tough, right, and you're in the, the dog fight of a fourth quarter where you need to scrap your way back. You know, even in this game, right, it's a 15-14 game in the third quarter. They found a way to take over the fourth quarter and win that game. And the game against Pittsburgh, where it looked like they had no chance, next thing you know, you look around and you go, holy shit, Cincinnati's got the ball back. Same thing with the game against Dallas. Holy shit, Cincinnati's got the ball with two minutes left. It's in Joe Burrow's hands. Now, it didn't work out the first two times, but this Cincinnati team does seem to have that kind of end of the game it factor where things kind of come together and they try to they at least put themselves in a chance to be successful. So the Bengals come over with a big win. The wide receivers there are still awesome. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd. It's, it's a fantastic room. Uh, Joe Mixon not quite having the same year he did a year ago. Or I believe he finished second or third in the league in rushing yards. He had a tremendous season. But that offensive line from Cincinnati is looking better. But I do think a huge part of that is just, hey, yeah, you know what? We don't have to face TJ Watt and Micah Parsons every single week like they had to in the first two weeks of the season. So Bengals get somewhat more right. Dolphins become uh, the second to last team to have remained undefeated. They're sitting at three and one. The Bengals with a huge game Sunday night uh, in Baltimore taking on the Ravens. That should be a really, really fun contest. And we'll see uh, if Cincinnati keeps this train moving in the right direction. Minnesota and New Orleans, the uh, London game. Scotty and I were talking about this on Friday. I loved it. I had forgotten that there was a London game Sunday morning. I uh, woke up. I went to go help take care of my roommate's dog. Go over, pull out Lexi. She's the best sweet pup in the world. We love Lexi. Throw on the TV and holy shit. Yeah. 
Saints Vikings are playing. And we throw the game on and sitting there watching. It was really enjoyable. Really liked the game. Um, this is a another prime Kirk Cousins example. I feel like we've had a couple of these in a row. Minnesota is a weird team to figure out as a whole, but it's also because Kirk Cousins, like this team with it with a better quarterback, I, I genuinely believe is a top ten team in the NFL. Now there's a world where they might finish with a top ten record. I don't think that's crazy to think with this Minnesota team, but they probably should have lost to the Lions. They arguably should have lost to New Orleans, or at least could have gone to overtime if it wasn't for the incredible, crazy double doink. The first true double doink we've had since the uh, Chicago and Philly playoff game a couple years ago. This Minnesota team, I don't think is that good. But I, I also look at the pieces that they have. I look at the guys they brought in on defense. I look at the wide receiver room. I look at the offensive line, the running backs, and they – I can't figure out why, right? And maybe this the, the simple answer is Kirk Cousins, right? Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins dink and dunking his way all the way up and down the field. I don't know. I, 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 I haven't figured it out because, A, it's so early in the season. And, yeah, Minnesota's 3-1, and one, right? Don't apologize for being 3-1. and one. Having, you know, two above 500, you look like you're a pretty solid team so far. But this team could easily just be 1-3. and three as they are three and one, but they found ways to win and credit where credit's due. The saints, on the other hand, I do not think the saints are a good football team. Now I know there was no Kamara. There was no Michael Thomas. There's no Andy and and no Jameis. They had Andy Dalton in there. Andy Dalton looks better at quarterback than Jameis has so far this year. I know he doesn't get the arm talent, but if he was able to do that with Kamara without Kamara and without Michael Thomas, Find me a reason why Andy Dalton shouldn't be the starting quarterback because I love Jameis. We all love Jameis. He's exciting. He'll he'll make more big plays than Andy Dalton. But if you're this Saints team, you want to rely on, on your defense, which, as I said early on in the season, I didn't think it was as good as it was in, in years past, and I think we're seeing that now. And they also got hosed by a couple of bad calls. You know, I, I get that, and Saints fans would be all up my ass if I didn't, you know, say that first. But the Saints... I just don't see it. I don't see it with Jameis. Jameis is not is going to turn the ball over too much. If you have Andy Dalton, why I think Andy Dalton should be the starting quarterback of this team, he's not going to make a ton of mistakes. He's not going to win you a whole lot of games. But I think the roster is good enough and the pieces around them are good enough. They should be able to run the ball more, but Kamara hasn't looked great so far this year when he's even been able to play. Alave looks like a stud. I loved I, – I mean, we talked about it all the time around the draft, but I loved Alave coming out of the draft. And – I think absolutely he is. He's going to be the if he's not already the number one receiver on that team. But they have enough weapons. Andy Dalton's serviceable. He's going to protect the football better. And I guess he try to play good defense. I just I, this team has no clear identity. It's still got this the stink of Sean Payton kind of all over it, but in a in a bad way, not in a way that makes you go like, oh yeah, this Saints team. You know, like this Saints team is fun. The Saints team. They it's like. There's no clear offensive identity. Jameis is an absolute wild card. And the defense seems to be a lot more inconsistent than it was in years past when Dennis Allen was just able to control the defense and didn't have to worry about anything else. So these are two teams in the NFC. These were, you know, the two sleeper teams in the NFC besides the Eagles. The three, the three teams that everyone was talking about going into the season, the, the Vikings, the Saints, and the Eagles. These two teams played each other, and it, neither one looked good. 
This was a somebody's going to have to win this game at some point game. And ultimately, the Vikings hung on at the end there. Justin Jefferson breaks out of his slump. Um, I just didn't I didn't love what I saw out of the Saints or the Vikings in this game. And it makes me think that the NFC as a whole is even more sloppy and kind of nasty than uh, and not in a good way than what we thought, because there are holes to poke in every single team, including the 4-0 Philadelphia Eagles, who go in, win a great game uh, at home in the rain against Dougie P. Shout out to the Eagles fans who treated Dougie well. Anyone who thought the Eagles fans were going to boo Doug, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. Not trying to be a jerk, but you're an idiot. I get it. Everyone wants to dump on the Eagles fans. We're all the worst. We threw snowballs at Santa Claus, blah, blah, blah. I, we get it, okay? Everyone in Philadelphia gets it. Nobody cares what you think in Philadelphia. The Eagles fans are the best fans in the world because of what they do for people who come in and win. And you know what? When Carson comes back, I don't even expect them to really boo him, right? He's not Ben Simmons. He just sucked. And people were tired of him. And he, they wanted someone else. He was a huge part of that Super Bowl run. Carson, I, I don't know if he'll get like a video montage when he comes in. And there'll be some people who boo Carson. But at this point, I feel like everyone just kind of feels bad for Carson. So I thought he was, again, getting off topic here. But I just, I feel like Philly fans get a bad rep, as always. I'm always going to make that argument. But in particular, anyone who didn't think that we were going to cheer the shit and, and have a standing ovation for Doug Peterson doesn't understand the value of winning in Philadelphia. We care about winning and the teams that have won in the history of our sports teams more than anything else. So when, of course, when a legend comes back, when Andy came back, he didn't even win a Super Bowl, they gave him a standing ovation. So that was great to see. The stuff after the game was really cool too. But in the actual game itself, this was the first time where things didn't get off to some flying, beautiful, lovely start for the Eagles, right? You get down 14 nothing. You throw – Jalen throws uh, really his – I think it's only his first, it might have been his first, maybe his second interception of the year. Tries to fit into a window. He he hesitated. He saw the opening. He kind of held on to it for an extra second longer. Didn't pull the trigger right away. Threw it into a hole that he didn't have time for in the rain. Threw it behind Devontae. Gets popped up in the air. And Jacksonville returns it for a touchdown. At that point, you're thinking, okay, shit. Let's see how they bounce back. Come back. Jacksonville gets the ball. They, they I think, went three and out or, or pun, ended up punting it back to Jacksonville. And then Jacksonville gets the ball back, marches right down the field, scores a touchdown. You're thinking, holy shit, man, 14 to nothing. We're going to lose to Dougie in the return. We're going to lose to Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence. And the Eagles in the second quarter, through the first four games in the NFL season, the Eagles have scored more points in the second quarter than any other team has scored in the second quarter in NFL history which continued on Saturday or on Sunday as they put up 20 points in the third quarter. Should have been 21 if Jake Elliott doesn't miss the extra point. The defensive line can't, has come alive in the last couple of weeks. 16 total sacks, 11 takeaways already, this defense. They had, uh, I believe, 16 sacks by week 12 last year, and they had 11 takeaways by, I think, week 8. So this defense already is playing at a significantly higher level. They lose Jordan Mailata and on the first drive. They lose Darius Slay on the first drive. So they got backups playing in this game. But the defensive line is honestly what came what, what changed this game. Hassan Reddick, two strip sacks. 
uh, recovered his own one to ice the game at the end there. Uh, in addition to guys like Fletch getting after it. His team, this defense is really freaking good. TJ Edwards continuing to play one of the best linebackers in football. Kazir White flying around the field making play. James Bradbury with the interception, which honestly that was the backbreaker in this game was the James Bradbury interception. And then they go right down the field. They, you know, run the ball down the throat. Four rushing touchdowns in this game. They ran for over 200 yards. They still had over 400 yards of total offense and downpouring rain in the cold in Philadelphia. And it goes back to the same thing I was saying before, right? What's been different about this Philadelphia team is that they've won in a different way every single game. Every single game has been slightly different, and yet they've found a way to keep moving the ball, whether it's running the ball in sloppy weather conditions when they couldn't run it and even or when they couldn't throw it. And even yesterday, A.J. Brown still had another. He's the only player in the NFL so far to have five catches and 65-plus yards in every single game this season. They still were able to throw the ball a little bit. And even if it was the tight end screens that they run with Goddard, who's so good after the catch, Devontae had a couple of nice catches. Uh, and Goddard even dropped one that should have been an easy touchdown there. Uh, and, and instead, they were able to make up for it a little bit later on. But it was an ugly game but one that the Eagles needed to prove that they could win. Because Jacksonville, I can I can tell you right now, Jacksonville is a solid team. I don't think – they're, they're much better than Frisky. I'd say they're a good team. They're not a great team. Doug has them playing really, really well. But they're still young. They're still going to make mistakes. And the weather ended up being a huge factor in this game for Jacksonville. But this was a big test for Philly. This was a test that says, like, hey, not, not only – because in the NFL, you can lose to any team any given Sunday, right? That's literally where the expression comes from, and every, every football fan knows that. But what was impressive about this win was the fact that they got punched in the mouth early. They didn't come out firing on all cinder, cylinders. Jalen made a bad throw and a bad decision and was not 100% confident in his decision-making, was late to make the throw, and that's ultimately why the pass got picked off. And ult- And then – all right, that happens. They cleared the skate, right? We're coming out. We're going to make a stop. They didn't make a stop. Jacksonville marches right down the field on the next possession and scores a touchdown. Next thing, that's 14 nothing. And Philly's sitting there like, all right, what are we made of? What are we made of here? And they rattle off three straight touchdown drives, forcing turnovers, com- complimentary team defense on an ugly, rainy day in South Philly. And if you're able to win games that way in this league, against great teams, against good teams, against bad teams. Whenever you get down, you're able to fight your way back. It says a lot about the character of your team. It says a lot about the way they believe in each other, the way they believe in Jalen. I mean, Jalen's punching that touchdown run in on fourth and goal and leveling um, Devin Lloyd and that nasty collision, but still holding on to the ball and getting to the end zone. I mean, that's the kind of shit that, A, scares me as an Eagles fan but B gets his teammates so fired up and make them believe in him even more because he's just a tough, badass motherfucker. And this team, I, I'm not going to say, Oh, they're special. Oh, they're the Super Bowl favorites. I think right now they should be considered one of them. I don't know how they would hang against a Buffalo or a Kansas city. I'd love to see it. I would love to see it. I think they'd be able to hang okay with a fully healthy secondary. And luckily none of the injuries the Eagles had last week seemed to be, uh, you know, long-term danger, you know, scary injuries. Um, Sirianni said that every single player 
on the injury report has a chance to play this week, which is great. Not all of them will, but it's good to know that it's all going to be short-term stuff. Um, that being said, though, still, the Eagles, really good football team. Really good football team with a lot of talent, a lot of depth. And, and even a guy like Jack Driscoll goes in there at left tackle. He's getting blown off the ball in the first couple snaps by Josh Allen, the Jacksonville Josh Allen. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, man, Jack Driscoll is going to have a rough day. The Eagles are going to have a rough day. And by the end of the game, he got comfortable, right? Because when you get thrown in there as a backup, it's going to take a couple series to get your legs under you, especially when you haven't really played live action since the preseason for Driscoll. He steps in there, ends up doing a really, really good job. Credit to the coaching staff, too, for calling plays away from him. And I'll, again, I, I don't want to shortchange Jacksonville here either and just talk about the Eagles, but it was a tough day for Jacksonville. It was a tough day for Trevor Lawrence. They're young. They're good. They have talent, and they're overachieving for the talent that they have on their roster. They're, they're, they're just a young team, and there's going to be learning curve. There's going to be some errors. There's going to be some ugly games like this. But they're they're on the right trajectory. Um, would have loved to have seen these two play on, you know, maybe a less rainy, less miserable day. But, hey, that's the cards that they were dealt. And shout out to, um, you know, the Eagles for pulling off a, a really, really big win. All right, let's move on to another game here. Cleveland, Atlanta. This was a game um, – I, I picked Atlanta to, to cover the spread and to win this game. Uh, they were one-and-a-half-point underdogs. Uh, I like this Atlanta team just flat out. Um, they're really, really fun. And they, their ability to run the ball in this game with Cordell Patterson was huge. He got placed on the IR today, so he will be out for at least four weeks, which uh, is, a, is a bummer because uh, this he's been such a huge part of, of what they've done. Uh, and into getting this team as fun and as frisky as they've been, but they're fun to root for. I, th I think Mariota is one of those guys that ever since college has this really, really high approval rating. They have two young, really exciting pass catchers, Drake London and uh, Kyle Pitts, though if you have Kyle Pitts in your fantasy league, you're probably screaming like, why the hell are they not targeting him? I believe he's fifth on the team in targets on the season so far, which, yeah, if you're an Atlanta fan, you're thinking, what the hell? But they've made their bread and butter off of running the ball so far this year. And they they should have beaten – or they beat Seattle. Uh, and I forget what the other game that they had that they arguably should have won. Oh, the Saints game in week one that they should have won that they were unable to pull off. So the Falcons arguably could have been three and one. And in a weird world, if something crazy happens in the in that comeback against the Rams, could have been four and oh, right? They're only a handful of plays away from being four and oh. You're Atlanta Falcons. I like this team. I, I, they're fun. Arthur Smith has done a really good job in year number two for a team that has very little talent on the offensive line, um, or at least very inexperienced talent in the offensive line and was a dumpster fire on the offensive line a year ago. They've gotten pretty competent, pretty damn quick. Now look, Cleveland didn't have miles Garrett. They didn't have Jadavian Clowney, but everyone else in that defense was healthy and they were able to run the ball at will against the, the Browns this week. And the Browns, Look, Jacoby Brissett isn't the problem, weirdly enough. Um, I mean, look, was he great? No. But he didn't do too much that lost them the game here. The defense just couldn't stop the run. They couldn't get a hold of the ball. Time of possession was way favoring Atlanta in this game. And you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the other side. 
you know, some of the, I, and I'm not a, we, we talk about all the time on this pop. We're, we're not guys who are going to question play calling. There's some that stick out to you, but you know, that we don't know a- anyone who, who likes to do that or, or any of your friends who do that when they go, oh, what is this play calling? They don't fucking know either. Nobody knows what's going on in these plays, right? That being said, give the ball to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt as much as you can. I mean, Amari Cooper's had flashes this year of looking really good. Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones has had flashes this year of looking good. And Joku still looks like the exact same guy as he did before, which is why that contract extension, which didn't make sense then, still doesn't make sense now. The defense has been okay, right? You would think if you're the Browns giving up 23 points to the Falcons, that should be a win, but not with Jacoby Brissett. You know, you got 20 points out of Jacoby Brissett in this offense. But the guys you have on that defense, even without Miles Garrett and even without Jadavian Clowney, the Browns still probably should have won this game. And they got outplayed. They got out-hustled. They got outplayed. And credit to Atlanta, because Atlanta has fought their ass off in every single game. For a team that people thought was going to be, and myself included, thought was going to be in that five to six win range, they're 500 through two weeks and they easily could be three and one. They could almost be four and one if they'd, you know, gotten a little bit lucky there at the end against Atlanta. Mariota's a really, really exciting quarterback because of what he can do with his legs. He's not, you know, elite by any means, but he can create with his legs and he still has a good arm and they still have decent pass catchers there. There's a lot to like about this Atlanta team. And again, not as a, you know, super not as a, as a playoff team. I mean, who knows? Crazy shit's happened. But I feel like Atlanta's going to be on pace for that, like, seven-win area I, I, right now because they've they've played well against good defenses. All right, they played well against the Rams uh, after being down by a ton early. So, objectively, the second half against the Rams looked a lot better than the first half. But still, they put together a half of really, really good dominant football against the Rams where the Rams scored all their points in the first half and then had to hold on by a thread and Jalen Ramsey made that amazing catch. But Saints, not a bad defense, not a great defense. Browns, pretty good defense, but we're missing two of their better players. That's fair. Uh, and then Seattle, Seattle's bad, right? So they should have beaten Seattle, and they did. So they're able to move the ball against pretty good teams and good defenses. And I think Atlanta's going to win some games this year. Surprising to me, um, but Mariota kind of does this, you know, Mariota and Tannehill. That's why I remember always thinking the Tannehill Mariota swap uh, when Tannehill went to Tennessee was so interesting because in a lot of ways, they're very similar. Mariota is a little bit more run forward, a little bit better of an athlete running than Tannehill is, but arm talent wise, they're about the same. Uh, Tannehill just kind of got hot for that stretch when he came in and he's never really lost that job since. So, I don't know. I like this Atlanta team. I'll put, I'll say this. I think they're one of my favorite teams just to kind of watch, not in terms of like a, oh, they play such brilliant football or they're so talented or so this, just because I, I think they're kind of fun to watch. I think they're a cool team. I, I, I think they're well coached. I think they play fun, frisky football. Um, again, not, I mean, who knows? Maybe if the NFC continues to be this, this wide open, this bad, maybe they find themselves in the playoffs as a wild card team. I wouldn't pick that, but. Crazier shit's happened, man. Crazier shit's happened in the NFL. Uh, Let's go on to the Commanders and Cowboys uh, game here. Cowboys 
look, I might sound like a hater for this. I still don't think the Cowboys are that good of a football team. I think the defense is legit. I, I, I'll hand up and, and say that, no question. Micah Parsons is a stud. Demarcus Lawrence looks like the guy of old. Uh, guys like Leighton Vander Esch, who I thought were, were never going to quite be that same guy again that, that he showed early in his career. He's playing really good football. The secondary has been pretty solid, uh, though Trayvon Diggs has gotten burnt a bunch of times uh, and and did a couple times in the game against the Commanders, but the Commanders just really, really – that's a bad football team. Um, the whole offense, the whole Cooper Rush thing, I we need to do a segment like the am I am I crazy? This might just be a new set a segment we do every week. Am I crazy? Because this kind of shit with backup quarterbacks happens. Is it four and zero in their first four starts like Cooper rushes right now? No, not necessarily. But backup quarterbacks coming in and playing well for a certain stretch is not new. And I think cooler heads will prevail on this whole Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott thing. I think it's a funny debate, you know, if you're an Eagles fan or if you're basically a fan of any other team besides the Cowboys because everybody hates the Cowboys, unless you're a Cowboys fan. Cooper Rush has been fine. He's been a very serviceable backup. In fact, he's been better than fine for what you expect out of your backup quarterback. But I'm still not in love with this team. Jason Peters is starting on this offensive line right now. And, and, and playing significant minutes, like like really, really important piece. And they moved them down the guard, which is interesting. Um, but like when this team goes up against a good pass rush, they're in trouble, right? The Giants don't have a good pass rush. Commanders don't have a good pass rush. They're supposed to, but with no Chase Young, not quite there. Cincinnati, pretty decent pass rush. And uh, who they play? They play Tampa Bay. On Monday Night Football or on Sunday Night Football in Week One, who has a good pass rush, and they aid them alive. And that was when Dak was still there. So, look, I get it. It's it's the Cowboy Mania. You're going to talk about it. We're all going to talk about it. But let's all just pump the brakes on the Cowboys. And we're ranking three and one teams. Giants are the worst, and the Cowboys are not far behind. Them. All right. I I know Ceedee Lamb has had some nice games. Um, and again, credit to Cooper Rush for hitting them. They have weapons. Michael Gallup being back, that makes them offense more explosive. And when Dak comes back, who knows? Maybe the Cowboys do end up becoming a much better team than we thought going into the season. But they've been tested by one good defense so far this year. The others were Washington and New York, who are both bad football teams. I'm sorry, Giants fans. Your 3-1 and one Giants are the most fraudulent 3-1 and one ever. And I think even most of you would agree with me on that. And then the one against Cincinnati, it was a weird game. It was a weird Sunday night game or Sunday afternoon game. I can't remember when it was. And Joe Burrow was getting destroyed because his offensive line pool was playing like absolute dog shit. And even still, Joe Burrow had the ball left with two minutes left to go down and score against you. Micah Parsons is a stud. The, that defense I actually do think is, is really good. And you have some weapons on offense. But – I need to see Dak come back and and look good and see this offense go back to what they looked like more like a year ago where they were putting up 30-plus points a game. And then I'll say, oh, then, then I'll change what I'm saying. Then I'll be like, okay, yeah, cool, no problem. In the meantime, Cooper Rush, he's pulling off wins. He's doing what you pay a backup quarterback to do, which is to hold down the fort until your starter can come back, assuming your starter's coming back that season. 
And as long as they keep doing that, the Cowboys are, yeah, they're going to be a frisky team. I, I think the Cowboys are, are solidified in the frisky zone. Frisky to good, right? I think they're probably a little bit better than Atlanta, but I don't think they're that much better. I think they're just a decent football team. And maybe this take will come back and bite me in the ass because Eagles fans, you know, we that's what we're, we're bred to do that. But I'm just not a believer in the Cowboys. And that's that's my honest opinion. It's, it's not the bias, right? Last year, I talked about them all year that I thought they were a really, really good team. I said I was waiting for Mike McCarthy to fuck up at the end of the season and cost him a game, which it did happen in the playoffs. And I'm sure the same thing will happen again in big games. That's as much about Mike McCarthy as, as it is about the Cowboys. I'd say that about any team Mike McCarthy coaches, not just the Cowboys. Um, and again, let me see Cooper Rush do this against the team that's good. Because so far, I mean, if we look up their schedule right now, I know that they have the Eagles coming up in, uh, I think it's two weeks from now. Uh, yeah, they have the Rams this upcoming week, and then they're at Rams, at Eagles the next two weeks. If Cooper Rush is there for the next two weeks, and it's not Dak Prescott, I would be very surprised if they come away with a win against one of those two teams. I mean, Aaron Donald against 40-year-old Jason Peters in the interior is going to be a problem. And Cooper Rush throwing against Jalen Ramsey is going to be a problem. And by the way, it's not like they were blowing the doors off of the Giants or the Bengals or the Commanders. You know, the commander's game was was a dogfight until the very end when Cooper Rush hit CeeDee Lamb on one big, you know, throw there. But they lost 19-3 to with Dak Prescott against Tampa Bay. That's not a great football team. Dallas just isn't. Commanders, they're a bad football team. Commanders are a bad, bad football team. And the offensive line's bad. Quarterback's bad. I feel bad for Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and – uh, Jahan Dotson, who are now stuck in Washington because all three of them are really good. Uh, they can't run the ball, can't throw the ball, can't protect the quarterback. Quarterback doesn't have time to make any throws. Quarterback's also bad. Uh, and the defense, it's not great. Cornerbacks, not great. Defensive line, has some good guys. Jerron Payne, Jonathan Allen, some decent players in there. But for the most part, it's not a great football team. Um, and as much as I think universally people love Ron Rivera, I don't think his time in Washington uh, is going to be extended all that much longer. All right, let's move to the exact opposite of what this game was, which was the Seahawks and the Lions. 48-45 Seahawks. Uh, Man, what an unbelievable, just crazy, weird outcome of a game. I kept looking down being like, are the Lions really getting blown out by Seattle? Like, are they really – that bad on on defense apparently the answer is yes now we all love the malcolm rodriguez story and and look i don't think he's like the main problem but it does it did make me think today like you know what maybe it does say something when a fourth round rookie linebacker becomes your starting middle linebacker <laughs> like that he earned that position in camp like maybe that says more about the rest of the personnel than it does malcolm rodriguez who by all accounts, seems like a really, really good player, and and I hope I hope he continues to have a decent career. But this defense is bad. Aiden Hutchinson's about the only bright spot that they've had. Uh, Jeff Akuda, for all the praise we were throwing on him, and and you know last week, and you know oh look at his numbers through the first three weeks, he looks really good. He's getting lit up by DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in this game, and on the offense side of the ball, the Lions. 
Lions are freaking good, man. Like the Lions offense is good. And they did all this without DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown, who I think going into this game would have said the two best offensive players on the Lions. This was Jamal Williams and DJ Shark going out there and doing this. And Jared Goff and, and TJ Hawkinson, uh, Hawkinson. The Lions offense is really solid. The defense is abysmal. The defense is really, really bad. And I'm sure everyone has already seen all the stats, but, you know, the most total points scored and most points given up in the NFL this season, both the Lions, through the first four games, it's the most points ever given up by a team or the most points involved uh, for their first four games, the highest total in their first four games combined in NFL history. So basically the Lions are, are, are Texas Tech when Patrick Mahomes is there. They're just Big 12 and everyone's made that same joke, but that's it's what it feels like. It's just, it's really electric football, right? Because all the other games in the one o'clock window were over and I looked on red zone and there are, there's Seattle and Detroit with like three minutes left in the fourth quarter when every other game had wrapped up at that point. Yeah, it's it's weird. Seattle, I mean, shout out Geno Smith, highest completion percentage in NFL history through four games. I think he's at like 78%. Uh, he's throwing the ball. Someone did his numbers through the first four games compared to Russ's through the first four games. And Geno's are a lot better. Um, Gino, I think, is on pace to throw for almost four thousand yards so far this year. It's it's a it's pretty it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy that we're at this point where Geno Smith is looking as good as he is, but he's looking really really solid, and he has. I mean, even the first half against Denver on opening weekend on that Monday night game, he looked really good, and then everything kind of sputtered out in the back half. Each game since then, Seattle's offense, even the game against Atlanta, Seattle's offense was able to move the ball. So Seattle, frisky. Weird team. You know, they're kind of in that same boat with Atlanta, right? They're not as fun to watch as Atlanta because at least Atlanta has like this young kind of nucleus, but it's both with journeyman quarterbacks, both guys with a little bit of mobility, both guys with some decent arm strength and experience in the NFL, making correct decisions, not turning the ball over. And it's making for, hey, you know what? This is what happens when you're in the NFL, when you have high caliber talent around you, NFL caliber talent around you, like Rashad Penny or Cordell Patterson, or, you know, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, for both of these teams, if you have just competent quarterback play, you're going to win some games, you know? And and in the case of Mariota and Geno Smith, they're not turning the ball over. They're doing the little things right. And they're making some things happen for themselves, which uh, I, I think is fun to see. Um, te- uh, Titans, Colts. Colts might just be really bad. And I love Frank Reich. Uh, I think most people in the NFL love Frank Reich. But I think I think this is going to be it for him. Uh, it's hard. It's hard not to. It's hard not to think about the end when you're looking at the, these teams right now, uh, this team in particular. I, I know every single year it's been the oh, we're one quarterback away. And then it's like, OK, well, now we have a quarterback. And Frank Reich's first year there it was Andrew Luck. Luck leaves. And it's Brissett. And it's Phil Rivers. Then it was Carson Wentz. And now he's got Matt Ryan. And each year. It hasn't worked out, and each year they've had a decent team around them. And that offensive line that they put all the pieces in for Andrew Luck, and then Andrew Luck abruptly retires. Well, it turns out that really good offensive line they had when Jacoby Brissett was there the first year, that really good offensive line is now five years away. You know, it's it's been four years since then. Quentin Nelson's in his in his fifth NFL season or fourth NFL season. These guys are getting older, and your window is closing. Um, I know they don't want to run 
you know, Jonathan Allen all the way to the ground, especially now that he's banged up again. But I don't know how else they can move the ball. I mean, Michael Pittman's really solid, but other than that, there's no other wide receiver for Matt Ryan to throw the ball to. And it's crazy, and this is the beauty of the NFL, that this same team beat the Kansas City Chiefs a week ago. But they did, and that's the craziness of the NFL. The Colts sitting at 1-2-1. and one. So far, the biggest surprise of the NFL season, I think, for me, um, how bad that they've looked through four games. And Tennessee, on the other hand, Tennessee bounces right back. 24 points in the first half. Did not score again for the rest of the game. But Derrick Henry looked solid. Tannehill made some nice throws in the first half. Uh, and the defense kind of carried the way for them the rest of it. And the second half of that game was ugly. The second half of that game, I don't think, appeared on red zone until literally the, there was one fumble recovery late when Indianapolis was trying to make a push to go down and tie the game. And that was the only second half highlight that we saw out of this game because it was it wasn't pretty. Uh, nothing about it was pretty. Um, but Tennessee, they're going to win ugly games this year because they're well coached, because of Mike Vrabel. They're going to find ways to win these ugly games that no one else really cares about, no one wants to watch. And before we know it, it'll be the end of October, middle of November, and we're going to see the Titans are in first place somehow in the AFC South. It's just it's what happens, like clockwork, because that's what they've been doing now for five years with Mike Vrabel. And I like this Titans team to continue to win gross tightly contested games and find a way to pull out wins because that's that's what they do. That's what they've done. That's what they've always done here. And they may not look as good as they did last year. They may not be the one seed, but a 10 and 7 could win you the AFC South. And after the start that Tennessee had now, sitting at 2 and 2, and what seems like everyone in the NFL is 2 and 2, they're going to be right there in position to go out there and compete for, you know, an AFC South spot and who knows? Maybe the AFC doesn't end up being as competitive as, as we thought, and maybe they sneak in and steal a wild card spot if Jacksonville continues on the trend that they looked like they were doing before the Philly game. But still, the AFC South is crazy wide open, uh, with the exception of the Texans. I don't think the Texans have much of a shot, but uh, it definitely does not look to be right now, at least, that the Colts are going to have that. Um, Bears-Giants, um, the only thing I can say about this is uh, thank you for – being bad football teams um, and the under hit on this. I said it a couple of minutes ago. I mean, the Giants being three and one is hilarious. Uh, they somehow win that game against Tennessee in week one. Still don't know how they did that, but they did. Uh, Daniel Jones looks bad. They look like they're scheming up an offense for a backup quarterback, which is essentially what Daniel Jones is. Um, sneaky athletic, right? As we always say about white quarterbacks who can run a little bit. Sneaky athletic. Uh, Daniel Jones is sneaky athletic and, and he at least pulled it. Saquon's been the bright spot for the giants. No question. The bears. I don't know what's going on with them, man. I mean, we've talked about it before. They just aren't letting Justin Fields throw the football. They're, they're just not letting him do it. And he's still averaging like 20 attempts a game. And I know, you know, Khalil Herbert had a nice running game. They want to try to attack the run. Well, when the other team knows that all you're going to try to do is run the football, they're going to be able to stop it a lot easier. So the bears, not great. I will say the Bears' defense is pretty fun. You know, Roquan Smith, Robert Quinn. You know, they still got some guys on that Bears' defense, but not a great team. I expect them, uh, along with some of the other bad teams like the Panthers and the Ravens, uh, the Panthers and the Texans, to uh, to be in that you know 
gunning for a top five pick kind of position here soon. I, I do feel for Justin Fields um, because I feel like he deserves more of an opportunity, but at the same time, I, I just don't think that he's seeing the field. I, I feel like there's a disconnect from, from, you know, it's, it's, it's not just that they're not giving him opportunities. It's that he's not making the most of them once he's been given them. And that sucks um, for, for Justin Fields who, you know, the talent is all there. The arm strength, the athleticism, all that stuff that we loved about Jalen, uh, Justin Fields at Ohio state and coming out of the draft. He's just not seeing it at this level. And part of that's on coaching and part of that's probably on Justin Fields too. Uh, Jets Steelers, crazy comeback win for the Jets. The return of Zach Wilson. This game was unwatchable for the first half. Um, and honestly, up until the fourth quarter, but the Jets made a couple of big stops, uh, got a couple of big turnovers. We did see the most notable thing out of this game, besides Zach Wilson doing a gritty, uh, was seeing Kenny Pickett, um, who looked okay um, through 13 passes, none of which hit the ground, which I believe is the first time in NFL history that's ever happened. Uh, he went uh, 10 of 13 and had three interceptions. Now, I will say, one of the interceptions at the end was uh, a Hail Mary, so we're not going to hold that on him. Uh, one of the interceptions didn't really look to be like his fault. Um, ball got batted up in the air and, and bobbled around a little bit and someone made a nice play. Uh, the third one was definitely his fault, but the Steelers, it's weird seeing the Steelers be this bad. Now I think Kenny Pickett's going to jumpstart a little bit of life into this team and as they should, because it's, you know, it's, he's a first round draft pick. You're taking a chance on him, but he's just, He's got a little bit more. He's willing to at least take shots where it feels like Mitch was so gun shy in the pocket, you know, didn't really want to take shots downfield, looked a little bit scared, a little bit skittish back in the pocket. And Kenny's at least going to try to push the ball. He's not going to try to check everything down. Um, he's going to be willing to take some risks with his legs. And that's at least going to hopefully help Pittsburgh, who has a bunch of good weapons, be a little bit more competitive. I also wonder, you know, if TJ Watts playing, this game might be a lot different because you're going to get T.J. Watt matched up. And that defense, it, it's crazy. And it's a testament as to how good T.J. Watt is that the second he's out of this lineup, the Steelers went from being like a, oh, damn, this is a really good defense to, oh, this defense this defense doesn't look good at all. Um, and the Jets are the Jets are fine. You know, again, like I think the Jets are probably going to look a five or six win team. I think they'll pull off a couple more wins. Uh, Zach Wilson was almost perfect in the fourth quarter, which – uh, if you're a Jets fan, that's amazing to see. Uh, leads them down that drive, score touchdown late, executes the the final plays there to, to get in the end zone and pull off a win for the Jets. So um, two young quarterbacks there in the second half. That was, I guess, the most notable thing. Uh, probably the best game of the day, or at least in the early window, Bills-Ravens, um, huge comeback win for the Bills who the Bills looked awful in the first half. The hangover from the loss against Miami seemed really real. Now, I was in – I live in the D.C. area right down the road from Baltimore. The weather was miserable on Sunday, just like we saw in Philly. So, I'm sure the weather made some sort of an impact here. But the Ravens are a tale of two halves, right? And and Baltimore, same thing. They just flip-flopped. Uh, Lamar looked unbelievable in the first half against Buffalo – making crazy plays, running around the field, doing it with his arm, doing it with his legs. Um, that one first down call that they ended up calling back, or they called it, he was short, he reached out for the first down. I thought that was a bad call. Um, Mahomes did the same thing in the Sunday night game, and it was pretty clear that 
he got the first down. I thought Lamar did too. I don't know why that got called back, but it did. Um, I, I, these, these two teams, I'll say this. I'm not worried about Buffalo. I'm a little bit more worried than I was last week. Um, I still think Buffalo is going to be a good, is, is a good team, a really good team. Uh, and they needed a win like this against another solid football team where they came back on the advert from the, you know, adversity. Right. And, and they came back from being down, what was it? 20 to three at one point in this game, they scored the touchdown before the half. And then they dominate the second half. The bills defense in the second half looked amazing against Lamar and uh, Jordan Pryor being back in the lineup for them was a huge, huge win for Buffalo. And ultimately they go down there, score late and come out with a win. This is, this was a big statement win for Buffalo. Buffalo needed this as a bounce back, right? This is a prove it to ourselves kind of a game after what happened to Miami last week. And that Miami game was so exhausting and so brutal. And the fact that Buffalo came up on the short end of that was really, really tough. And then they found themselves in a spot here at halftime or right before halftime. They were like, Hey, if we don't get our shit together here, we'll be two and two. And we're a team that was supposed to be one of the best teams in football that shakes your confidence. Um, you can say it doesn't, you can say as much as you want in press conference that it doesn't, it just, it's human nature. It does. And they found the confidence that they needed. They bounced back. They got a huge, huge win on the road in Baltimore. Um, Texans chargers, uh, fuck you chargers for blowing the uh, Texans cover. That's the only thing I really have to say. Texans are bad. Um, I, I will say this right now. The Texans are going to win at least one, probably two games this year that they have no business winning. Um, this was not one of those days. Now, the Chargers, uh, it, it was a great statistical performance. I still don't think the Chargers look great. Like, I know they won this game by 10. They put up 34 points. They still let the Texans back in this game. I, I don't love the Chargers defense. I know they're out. You know, Bosa's out. Obviously, no Rashawn Slater. That affects this team as a whole, but I don't know. I guess I'm not. I'm not quite sold on the Chargers. I think they're going to be fine. I think they'll be in the mix for a wild card spot because I, I do still think, like my preseason prediction, and through four weeks, I still feel confident that Kansas City is still the best team in the AFC West. But the Chargers, um, the one thing we know about them is they have a freakish amount of talent at the quarterback position, and when you have that, you're going to be in. Every single game that you play, uh, they come out with a big win. They won by 10. Yeah, they scored late to make that lead. But like this game was definitely closer than, than it appeared. The fact the Texans got that game down to three late, um, just some small mistakes, a couple of bad fumbles there. Uh, and Austin Eckler finally breaks through. So if you're a fantasy owner, you've been waiting for Austin Eckler to have a game like this. There you go. Uh, we uh, we love to see that. I love Austin Eckler, but just been disappointment on the fantasy side so far this year. Um, last game of the one o'clock window Cardinals Panthers. This was a big win for Arizona only because it's the first time that it seemed like they looked pretty competent for the most part of this game. Um, look, I mean, and, and the Panthers Panthers are in some trouble. I mean, I love Baker. I, I still feel like Baker's and maybe this is just being an irrational Baker guy, but I feel like a lot of this problem, this team's problems for the Panthers falls on Matt rule. Um, I like Matt rule. I liked him in college. I don't think he's a good NFL coach. I, I don't think he's a good NFL coach. I think this team, I mean, Ben McAdoo is the offensive coordinator of this team. The offense looks terrible. They're not doing anything creative or fun to get Christian McCaffrey, the ball in space, which is just a huge miss 
for this Carolina team, and it's setting Baker up for failure. It's setting McCaffrey up for failure. I mean, this is back-to-back weeks that, you know, almost half the points that they scored came from a defensive touchdown. Uh, just not it, all in all, it's not great. They didn't get in the end zone until late in the fourth quarter. And by that point, um, Arizona had, had kind of had the game pretty comfortably in hand. Arizona still doesn't look great. I'm very curious to see what they look like going up against Philly because the defense does look better for Arizona, but they're going to have a big test ahead of them going up against Philly next week. Um, and the Panthers were not a really big offensive test for them. So yeah, it's easy to look great against them, but like we saw what happened when they played Kansas city in week two and they got absolutely shit pumped or week one, whatever week that was. So uh, Kyler looked a little bit better. He looked a little bit more consistent, still another two weeks away from Deandre Hopkins coming back. Maybe that helps the offense kind of settle a little bit, having arrested and rejuvenated Deandre Hopkins join the mix. Um, But there's just not a whole lot there. I mean, Hollywood Brown is and Zach Hertz are carrying the load for this team offensively in the pass catching group and James Connor on the ground. And I, I like all three of those guys. Uh, I don't love any of those guys, at least not Zach Ertz at this point in his career. So no, not a huge fan. Uh, Arizona, good win for them, right? 2-0 on the road. They host Philly this week. It's going to be a huge test for them. We'll see what ends up happening. Uh, three more games here, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, Pats, Packers, fun game considering the circumstances. Uh, Packers end up winning it on a game-winning field goal in overtime. But uh, Brian Hoyer, or Axel Hoyer, as we call him on this podcast now, gets knocked out early, uh, I think on the first drive. And then in comes Bailey Zappi, which I said last week in the pod that I was bummed that Brian Hoyer was playing and not Bailey Zappi because I wanted to see what happened. And honestly, Bailey Zappi didn't look that bad, right? For a dude who was not prepared to start, was not the starting quarterback coming into this week, got thrown into the game. He, He handled it all better than I thought he would. He was the first rookie quarterback this year to throw a touchdown before Kenny Pickett did, right? So Bailey's happy. First rookie QB on the board with a touchdown pass this year. Uh, P- Patriots can run the ball. The defense looks pretty good. Uh, I saw this stat. The Packers are second in the NFL in explosive plays, which you wouldn't expect because the one thing we've talked about with the Packers is that the offense doesn't look the same without De- uh, Devontae Adams. But Antonio Dobbs, is a really, really fun player. Rookie Christian Watson had a huge touchdown run. Um, Alan Lazard's at least consistent as a pass catcher, right? At least you have somebody there that you can kind of rely on a little bit. As a whole, the Packers, I still think, are going to be good. The defense looks – they're a hard one to figure out because there's weeks where the Packers' defense so far have looked really good, um, you know, like against Tampa Bay last week. and then But then again, that was Tampa Bay with, like, no offensive weapons. Um, and then you go up against the rookie quarterback and a good running game. And, you know, they were able to force that game into overtime. So who's to say, uh, what I do know is that the Packers have Aaron Rodgers and they can run the ball. Uh, you can run the ball. You have Aaron Rodgers. The wide receivers will get caught up to speed. Eventually they'll get used to it. They'll get more comfortable, particularly Dobbs, who's seemingly going to be a real difference maker. Um, a lot of, when you see a lot of former like wide receivers going, tweeting out about, you know, a player, it's interesting. And yeah, he he dropped the one in the end zone um, that he, he should have held on to. And he had it all the way down to the ground and just barely squeaked out. But uh, yeah, that was that was a tough one for, for him. Um, the Packers probably should have won this game by at least a touchdown. Uh, instead, a couple small miscues and the Patriots ended up forcing into overtime. But they got the job done in OT and the Packers moved to three and one. 
by the end of the season, I do think the Packers are going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the NFC uh, because I just think it's not going to look like it has in years past with the explosiveness with Devontae, but they're going to find ways to do it. I still think Matt LaFleur is one of the best head coaches in football. I really do. I, I, I love Matt LaFleur. Um, if I could, if you were saying, okay, what coaches would you want for the next 10 years on your, uh, to be the head coach of your, of your franchise? Um, you know, see other than Sirianni, who I love, right. I have to say that as an Eagles fan, LaFleur would be at the very top of the list. I think Shanahan, LaFleur, McVay, those three guys, I think all would be at the very, very top of my list. And, um, he's done an unbelievable job because this feels like a complete team. It doesn't feel like a perfect team, but it feels more complete than it has in years past, which I think by the time we get to the playoffs and the end of the season, will make green Bay that much more dangerous. Uh, Last two games here, the Raiders get on the board with their first win, and Russell Wilson continues to not look great. Now, still the best, one of the best deep ball throwers I've ever seen, one of the best in NFL history. But yeah, the 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 offense for for Denver doesn't look good. Javante Williams came out today, torn ACL, done for the year, which sucks because he's at least been the one bright spot. Melvin Gordon continuing with the fumbling issues, so now that's going to hurt their running game. At this point, just say fuck it and just let Russ do as much as possible, right? If he wants to be Mr. Unlimited, let him be Mr. Unlimited, man. Uh, this offense is so boring. It's so boring for the talent that they have there. It's boring, it's boring, it's boring, and then there's one big play, and then it's boring again. I I cannot for the life of me figure out why Russ gets as much of a pass as he does because Russ just hasn't been good. And I know that he, he made some plays. He had the, the read option play, right, that he tucked it, dove for the touchdown, tried to get them back in it late in the fourth quarter. But this Denver team just isn't good. And the only times that the offense has shown signs of being explosive has been when they've thrown the deep ball. And, and I was listening to um, uh, an interview with Trent Dilfer earlier today, and he was talking about, you know, if he was coaching them, spice the offense up, right? Do some more pre-snap motion. Get a little more creative. Try to do a little bit more of what Kansas City does. Do something that's going to throw a little bit of a spark, a little bit of energy into this offense instead of just coming out in these base sets, this this 21 personnel where I, it just doesn't look good. You know, they're running 21 and 11 personnel like crazy, and it's a very, very boring offense. And part of that is like, yeah, I guess they don't trust Russ to cook, or this is part of what Russ wants to do. But Russ hasn't looked good. He just flat out hasn't. I said before the season, I didn't love the roster around him, and I think that's part of it. The offensive line for Denver is not good. The defense is not as good as what people thought it was going to be. Um, and then, yeah, they lost Tim Patrick. But even still, between Judy and Cortland Sutton and K.J. Hamler, that should be enough, right? That should be enough offensively for you to be able to be a little bit better than what they've shown so far. Um, but it just hasn't been. And the Raiders... They got on the board. Uh, offense looked pretty solid for the first time this year. Um, 32 points. They showed up for a full half or for the full game this year, offensively, at least um, 16 points in the second quarter and then an additional 13 in the second half. I mean, look, if they can find a way to pull off a big win, um, I think they have Kansas City coming up this week. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they turn things around, but. The Raiders probably going to finish last in that division, but it's going to be a tight race between them and Denver. There's a lot of football left, but it's going to be a tight race. Uh, and last up, Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Kansas City is just going to continue to be good. It's what Kansas City does. Patrick Mahomes, um, their offensive rankings 
offensive DVOA, number one in football, right? They they have they're better this year offensively statistically than they were last year with Tyreek. Um, it's not they're not the peak of what they were with Tyreek and Travis Kelsey. You know, the first couple of years when it just felt like they were unbeatable. But Mahomes is so special. And what's crazier is the longer they continue to play this season, I think the better Mahomes is going to get. I would put in a future for Mahomes to win the MVP right now, honestly, because I think he's going to continue to get better and better as he gets more and more used to games without having the safety blanket of Tyreek Hill. It's one thing to do it in practice in the preseason. It's another thing to go out there and do it in games against a really good uh, Tampa Bay defense and continue to just like the fact that he's able that Travis Kelsey gets as open as he does is crazy. But it's the plays, the juju. It's it's Clyde Edwards, Lair making plays now out of the backfield in the running game and out of the backfield. Uh, MVS Valdez Scantling uh, also making plays right. Like he's finding ways to get the offense as involved as possible, um, and it's going to take some adjustment. And so far, we've seen them put up forty points now twice. Uh, this Kansas City team is going to be really, really good. And the defense, I don't think it's the best defense they've had in Kansas City under Andy Reid. But I think it's pretty damn good. Karloftis, they hit on. He's been really, really good. It's just a power edge rusher. Um, and obviously some of the guys that they've added over the years. And everyone thought losing Honey Badger was going to be a huge, huge loss for them. Justin Reed's come in and played really well from the, at that safety spot. And they haven't dropped off all that much. You know, Tyron was definitely the emotional leader on that team and did a ton for them. And you could use him. But just because he did a lot of things, because he's so special of a player and had been for them for a while, doesn't mean that you're incapable of finding other ways to play defense without him. And that's exactly what they've done. They lost Tyreek, they lost Tyron, and they have come back on both sides of the ball and said, all right, then we had this one player who was really special and unique and, and changed the way our offenses and defenses were built. Well, we're going to rebuild them to more conventional offenses where you don't have that kind of a player. And we're still going to be as good because we have, you know, Chris Jones on the defensive line, and Nick Bolton, who's been a, a, one of the top linebackers since he was a rookie last year, uh, obviously Patrick Mahomes on offense and Travis Kelsey on offense on the other side too. So Kansas City, still really good at football. Tampa Bay, I'm not worried about them yet. I thought this is actually a really important game for them because offensively they finally looked better, um, and they did it without the running game last night, which I think says a lot about you know where this offense can go. Um getting Mike Evans more involved, but there still seems to be something a little bit missing there. I think that 10 to 12 win range is still where we're going to see them. I would lean more towards the lower side of that. I'd probably put their over under at 11 and a half. I'd be curious as to what it would be um, in Vegas standards for win totals right now, but uh, 10 to 11, maybe 10 and a half, 11 and a half wins still should be enough for them to win the NFC South. Cause I don't think anyone, in the NFC South is particularly good, but Hey, right now they're tied with the Falcons. I think they have the tiebreaker over the Falcons cause they both played New Orleans, but as of right now, at least they have the same record. So we'll see how the rest of this, uh, this season plays out. And um, I think the two of them play each other next week, even too, which will be uh, fun to see. Uh, all right. Short pod today. Thank you all for listening. Sorry. We couldn't get the whole crew together. Uh, we will have at least Scotty back on the pod for Friday to get you ready for the next week. Um, college football this past weekend, nothing overly exciting. Ole Miss wins a thriller against Kentucky. Uh, we'll update everybody on the on the uh, the rankings from our picks this week as well. Um, and Oklahoma State handles Baylor, which in a in a kind of a boring game. All in all, this is a again college football hasn't quite college football. I will say shout out to the Kansas Jayhawks. 
ranked number 19th in the college football, or sorry, ranked in the AP top 25 poll. Um, their first appearance there, and I think like 12 years or something crazy, 5-0. and um, And college game day is going to be in Lawrence this week, which means they're probably going to lose. <laughs> but we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll talk a little more college football on Friday's pod. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys then. And as always, take it easy, everybody.